0: Welcome. I'm Sebastian Moffut, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of Enroute Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Hello everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Purified by Fire. I am David Seast, and this is The Spiritual Coaching Show to help you find peace, love, and joy in family and work life, sanctifying the world one soul at a time. We are here each and every week to help you grow spiritually, to become successful in this life, and to be a saint for the life after. No matter how broken you may be, God is calling you to greatness that only you can fulfill. So come join us and see how he may be calling you. Hello, my fellow saints. Today's episode is about our destiny for greatness and putting meaning into our lives. If I asked you right now, what is your greatest attribute or accomplishment, what would it be? Would it be talented musician or actor, your beauty or your intelligence, your career? What is it that great attribute or accomplishment of yours? The American dream says we can do anything and be anything, as long as we work hard. The problem with all of these attributes and accomplishments is that they are fleeting and unimpressive. But if you were to told me that there is a single attribute that would divinize you, literally make you a god, and you a prince or princess of the kingdom of the universe, what would you say? This one attribute is what we have and was given to us when we were baptized. That one attribute is being a child of God. For many, we chase after a star that will eventually die, but the one star that we need to find is a star that leads to a child in a stable to help us really see our greatness. So begin. But so, before I start with my story, I'm going to uh, open up with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord Jesus, pray that we chase after the star like the Magi that we go after the star that leads to you in Bethlehem. We pray that that's the star that we focus on, that we never waver just like the three wise men. Let us be wise as they were and seek the star that leads to you. Let us pray. O God, who crowned with the gift of true faith St. Elizabeth Ann Seton's burning zeal to find Grant by her intercession and example that we may always seek you with diligent love and find you in daily service with sincere faith through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today my story begins with wanting to become a Marine. I still remember that day. Now, going back in uh, in time, my uh, in my youth, it's funny. I, I wanted to be either a doctor or a soldier. Um, and I remember actually telling my father one day, I must have been, I don't know, probably about 10 years old, and I was scratching my head, and my father goes, what is it, David? And I said, Dad, I have a problem. My father's like, what's the problem? And I said, well... I don't know if I want to heal people or kill them. And he looks at me and he goes, what do you mean? He goes, oh, I don't know if I want to be a doctor or if I want to be a soldier. And so he kind of laughed. And uh, and that was my big idea of my dilemma of becoming a doctor or a soldier. Um, so I wind up wanting to become a soldier. So I, my desire was actually go to go to West Point and to be a soldier, you know, I was looking at something like the 101st Airborne Division. That was a division I was really interested in going into. Um, and, uh, and the Green Berets a little bit, but probably more, I, I did a lot of research, and I, and I really liked the 101st Airborne Division, the Screaming Eagles. So as time went on, my desire to go to West Point Point, everything never changed until my freshman year. In my freshman year and, and uh, right after my freshman year, my brother decides he's going to go in the Marines. Now, at that point, believe it or not, I never even knew that the Marines existed. Uh, all I was so focused on being a soldier. The only one I knew of was the 82nd Airborne Division or 101st. I knew about the Navy. But clearly, I didn't know much about the Marines. I didn't even know that they even existed. So this so my brother goes to uh, the Marines, and that in itself is a big story. One day I'll probably share it, uh, down the road. But suffice to say, he writes a couple of letters to us as he's going through boot camp in Parris Island. So the big day comes for his graduation, and my whole family is proud of of my, my brother, uh, mainly because my brother uh, had some difficult times through high school, And him joining the Marines would be the last thing we would ever have thought that would ever happen. Uh, He really lacked confidence and a couple other things, but but suffice to say he succeeded in graduating, and we were all proud of him, um, you know, for graduating. So we drive down there to his graduation, and I remember watching – they were literally, like, looked like kids to me. And I was just a sophomore in, in uh, high school by this time. And I'm looking at them wow, they're just so young kids. But the thing that I noticed the most was how proud they looked, how confident they looked, how sharp they looked, how everything about them was amazing. You could tell that they were well-disciplined. You could tell by the way that they presented themselves, they marched, They were truly uh, a great, you know, force. So I remember, you know, there's, you know, I remember watching him graduate, and the final part of the ceremony um, of graduation is when your senior drill instructor dismisses your platoon, and the senior drill instructor will say something like, you know, platoon 1077, dismissed and then you do this back step, all right, um, and then you do an about phase, or you do a back step, then you say, aye, aye, sir, and you do an about phase. And at that moment in time, you are now officially a Marine. At least that's what it was back in the, in the 90s, oh, during the 80s. So I watched him do that, and they, all the platoons, you know, platoon 3000, whatever, and his platoon came up, and he did that. And I remember walking up to him and shaking his hand, and uh, he was a Marine. And he changed. He changed into this confident, um, assured, young man. In essence, he became a man. And I could never imagine any type of institution that could do something like that to anyone, you know. So at that moment in time, I said, that's what I want. That is I want to be a Marine, so I already had a military idea, but being what service and branch that I want to be part of, I knew it was the marines so lo and behold I'm a junior in high school, and a little bit about me i I was kind of uh, old for my my grade, so I was already eighteen by the time I was a junior. I turned eighteen in the uh you know pretty quickly, I graduated from high school at nineteen so I have this heated debate with my father uh, about joining the Marines. Now, he had no idea that I was going to try to go to ROTC and get a college, college um, tuition. And I, I kind of didn't know that either. But one thing he did want me to do is he wanted me to go to college. It wasn't against the military. He just wanted me to go to college. And so we're going back and forth, and, you know, I say a couple of, of bad things to him. I, w- I wasn't the, the – um, the nicest teenager, I, I guess. And so, I, you know, I said a couple of bad things, and, and I was so frustrated at my father because he wouldn't agree that I should enlist in the Marines. He kept saying, you know, don't you want to, um, you know, go to college and get a good job, or why don't you become an officer? You know, so he wasn't against the military. He was just wanting me to go to college because his fear was that if I enlisted in the Marines, I would never go to, to college. And uh, for him, he valued college very much. And also, I was very successful in high school. I, I was academically sharp. I was also I did very well in sports, so I could I could have gotten a lot of scholarships. So my uh, I got I got so heated that my father said to me, "He goes, David, look into the future." And, he, and I said, "Don't you?" And he says, "Don't you want to have a career and a job, find a nice woman, get married, and have children?" And I looked at my dad, and I said, no. I said, I just wanted to go to another country and kill someone. So, uh, to my father's shock, he was pretty shocked about that, and that, suffice to say, ended our conversation. So, again, I was 18 years old, so I didn't really need my parents' uh, approval to enlist in the Marines. And so I did. I enlisted in the Marines. Uh, You know, I I did it, I believe, around towards the um, beginning of my senior year in high school. Again, I didn't have to have my parents' approval. So I, then so that following summer, I enter uh, Paris Island. I go through a grueling three months' worth of boot camp. And you know, the day that I graduated, and I can still remember the day I graduated from Paris Island, uh, you know, the the platoon, I mean, uh, our drill instructor says Platoon 1077 dismissed. I do my back step, and I say, aye, aye, sir, and it dawned on me that now I was a Marine. And that was one of my proudest moments in my life was finally I could say to myself, I was a Marine. But my next thought, though, came to me was, what's next? You see, I had chased after this idea that I wanted to be a Marine, and I I bought my parents, even though they suggested me not enlisting in the Marines, I convinced all my teachers, I convinced my friends. I even recruited a couple of my friends to come to, uh, to become Marines, and they did. And I did all of that. And I was so proud of myself, but I'm standing there at the parade deck being proud of being a Marine, but it's like, now what? Now, Now what do I do? Because I have achieved what I wanted to do ever since I was a little kid which was to be in the military. So then I figured, well, maybe I'll apply it to, to the OCS program and I'll become an Officer of Marines. And that's what I did. I got the ROTC scholarship. I wind up um, uh, becoming an Officer of Marines. But then after I became Officer of Marines, that question came along, which is, now what? Now what do I do? You see, we chase after these stars. We chase after our passion. And the best case scenario is we, we never get it. The worst case scenario is we achieve it. Because some people who chase after stars, what they achieve will be their demise. I was fortunate because the Marines, which was something I chased after, would not be so destructive. Well, uh, you know, I was fortunate that I was not in combat and there was no war going on, at least when I was going through. So the point I'm getting at here is that we chase after these stars. And where does it leave us? It leaves us high and dry. That's basically what it does. So we chase after these, I would call them false stars, right? There's there's these great songs out there about stars. Everyone wants to chase after what I call False stars. You know, uh, you have a bad company called Shooting Star. I'm going to actually sing that song for you, believe it or not. <clears throat> you have Disney, When You Wish Upon a Star. Another one was uh, a song by Mercedes. It was our, our uh, senior prom song, which says, I'm wishing on a star. <clears throat> but the big thing is, and then you got the, you got the walk of, of, of fame down Hollywood Boulevard, which has all the stars there, you know, and that is the American dream. That American dream says you can work hard and you can be a star. And chances are you can. Okay? But the question you've got to ask yourself is at what price? At what price does it come? You see, in my life, I was very passionate about lots of things. And when I put everything into it, whether it be sports, academics, or whatever it was, I always succeeded. I did very well academically. I did very well sports-wise. I did it very well, uh, you know, in the military. I always succeeded. But at, every time I succeeded, I'd be like, well, then what? What do I have left? I, I accomplished what it is. And that's what happens to these stars. But let's talk about people who do succeed in areas and it eats them up. Now, uh I want to... Um, uh, you know, talk about this one uh, song, and it's by Bad Company, okay? And it's called Shooting Star. It's, uh, it used to be one of my favorite songs growing up in high school. And I want to, to read it, and maybe I'll even sing a little bit of it, uh, to, because I think it, it, it shows exactly what happens to people who shoot after a star, what should I call these false stars, and how that happens. So let me begin, okay? So it begins with this. It goes, Johnny was a schoolboy when he heard his first Beatle song. Love me Do." I think it was. From there it didn't take him long. Got himself a guitar, used to play every night. Now he's in a rock and roll outfit and everything's all right. Don't you know? Johnny told his mama, hey, mama, I'm going away. I'm going to hit the big time, going to be a big star someday, yeah. Mama came to the door with a teardrop in her eye. Johnny said, don't cry, Mama. Smile and wave goodbye. Don't you know, yeah, don't you know that you are a shooting star? Don't Don't you know, don't you know, don't you know that you are a shooting star? And all the world will love you just as long, just as long as you are. Johnny made a record, went straight up to number one. Suddenly everyone loved to hear him singing the song. Watching the world go by, surprising it goes so fast. Johnny looked around him and said, well, I made the big time at last. Don't you know, don't you know. Don't you know that you are a shooting star? Don't you know? Oh, yeah. Don't you know that you are a shooting star? Yeah. And all the world will love you just as long, as long as you are a shooting star. Johnny died one night, died in his bed, bottle of whiskey, sleeping tapas by his head. Johnny's life passed him by like a warm summer day. If you listen to the wind, you can still hear him play. Oh, don't you know, don't you know that you are a shooting star? And then the song continues with that. But that really shows exactly how we chase after a star. And what can happen is sometimes that star is caught, all right? And that is this. The first part of it is that when we're little, we really don't know the world. We really don't. and so, But we're passionate about something. In my case, it was the Marines. It was the military. I wanted to be in the military. In this case, Johnny was about singing. He wanted to be a rock and roll star. That's what he wanted to be. And so we as young kids, and sometimes especially men, we don't really – you know, we want something so much. Something caught our eyes. You know, maybe it was, a, it was a, in this case, it was a song. In my case, I know what caught my eye. My father showed, uh, had me watch a movie called Midway. It was called, it was the Battle of Midway when the Japanese and the Americans fought out at sea. And I said, wow, that was amazing. That was my Beatles song, you know, in the shooting star. And that's what happens to kids. And I have these dreams. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be the great rock and roll star. Or I'm going to be the great military person. Or I'm going to be that great accountant. Or I'm going to be whatever. And we have so many stars that we can choose from. It could be a career. It could be stardom. It could be prestige. It could be riches. It could even be relationships. I, I know women who, who chase after the fairy tale story, the marriage that lives happily ever after. Okay? And you get a lot of those with uh, those types of relationships that, that uh, they're looking for. Maybe they just want, maybe their shooting star they just want to be loved. Maybe their shooting star is, is they just want to be liked. Okay? They, popularity is their shooting star. Wanting to be noticed is their shooting star. Maybe it's power and politics and business. That's their shooting star. And so, we're caught at this at a young age. We're mesmerized by this star, which we could be, as I said, it could be anything, a career, prestige, uh, a relationship. And we chase after it. We chase after it through our teenage years and through our 20s. All right? Because we have so much energy, and we're so optimistic in those at that age. And we go out, and we drive after those. And we shoot after it. Now, the best-case scenario, as I said, is we never accomplish them. And we really wind up realizing, you know, what is the meaning of life? If we don't make it, we start getting disappointed, and we start looking at it and saying, what then really is the meaning of life? We start assessing our lives by the age of 30 and saying, what really is important to ourselves? Is it the, what I drove after? I've been doing this for, for you know, 15 years trying to achieve my goal or whatever it is, and I've really gotten nowhere. So that's the best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is you've achieved it. You've achieved your stardom. But in that process, you've given up, you know, no pun intended, but your soul. You really, really gave up your soul to give, to get it up. You know, um, I'll give you some some great examples. One is the fact that uh, uh, a priest friend of mine had a great homily, and he said that he went to watch uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, which is the uh, life story of Freddie Mercury. Now, I grew up liking um, Queen. Uh, I think Queen has some very good music. I, I enjoyed it. I don't listen to music as much as I used to, but, you know, uh, there were a lot of great songs. Of course, Bahamian Rhapsody is the most famous. Uh There's always Flash Gordon. I always liked that. I, I really liked the songs that he sang for, for the, the various movies that were out there. Who Wants to Live Forever, which was from the Highlander, Flash Gordon. Uh, uh, the song was called Flash. Um, and then, of course, we all know We Will Rock You. Now, in that story, the priest, my priest friend said in his homily, That Freddie Mercury was so popular, so wealthy, he had everything that people would want. Wealth, popularity, prestige. I think the only thing he lacked was probably power, but in his little way, he had his power. He literally had everything. But where? There was one thing that he didn't have, and that was love. That was love. And so, you know, he would eventually die. You know, and then this this priest friend of mine said in Tom Lee that one of his favorite actors is Robin Williams. And again, another famous actor who had everything. And why didn't he love himself, you know, and had his tragic ending. We're going to talk about another person who had everything, and his name was Herod. Herod had power, prestige, wealth, and he was afraid, afraid of a little baby. So when the you know, three wise men came along and said, we're looking for a star, and those three wise men, they weren't called wise men for no reason, Because they were truly, truly wise. Because they didn't, they weren't Jews. Jews would have known that a Messiah would be born. These three wise men had to come to that conclusion on their own without divine inspiration, like the Jews had, like Catholics have nowadays. So they were wise because they were able to figure this out without divine inspiration like holy scriptures. In those days, it was just an Old Testament. But see, they were wise. But Herod wasn't. Herod had already chosen his own star, which was power, wealth, prestige. And he didn't want anyone taking over that. Not this upstart named Jesus, who these three wise men were chasing after the true star. So, It is in this idea. What star are we chasing? The false star or the true star? So what happens in this song is great. In this case, we we are so passionate about what we do, we tell our mom and dad, don't worry about us, we're going to be a success. We're going to be a success. And in the song, you notice that mama sheds a tear. Because I can venture to say that his mother was probably not popular, his mother was probably not wealthy, and his mother was probably not successful, but she knew what makes a great person, and that is love, love and a family, and her tears are being shed because she eventually knows his tragic end without even, you know, uh, you know she just predicted it as great parents do now look at the response of the young man he just looks and he says to his mama you know mama don't cry and smiled and waved goodbye that's what happens when we chase after these passionate things most good parents know what that's going to lead us to she's almost like the prodigal father in this part of the song okay and he's the prodigal son but in this case, this prodigal son never comes back, because if you become successful, as as the, uh, the the chorus keeps saying, don't you know, don't you know, don't you know that you are a shooting star? What what's a shooting star? It's a star that comes down, and it, it's dead, right? It dies. But in that brilliant second when you see a shooting star, it's brilliant and lights up the sky, and it looks beautiful. But eventually, it's just dies. Okay? It's it's basically a dying star. I know, you know, astrologically it's not a star. It's really a meteorite going through Earth's atmosphere. But it's basically dying. Okay? So, and then I love this line where it says, don't you know that you are a shooting star? Now all the world will love you just as long, as long as you are a shooting star. As long as you keep being a shooting star, they're going to love you. After that, you're out. You're done. And at the end, it says, you know, that he kills himself. It implies that he kills himself with a bottle of whiskey and sleeping tablets. And then it says, at the end, he says, Johnny's life passed him by like a warm summer day. Think Think about that. Like, a, like one day, one summer day. And if you listen to the wind, you can still hear him play. In other words, he's just faded out of the world, and you have to really concentrate to know that he once existed. That's what happens. That's what happens when you chase after their star. The people will only love you as long as you are chasing after that star. You know, the reason why Johnny might have ended his life is because what is there left? I've achieved my goal. Now what is left? There's only one way let down, and that's down. And that's what happens. And so and chasing after that star and keeping up with that star is also very difficult. So what is the star that we're supposed to chase after then? Alright? The one star that we need to chase after is the star that leads us to Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. You know, it's called the Epiphany, and, and you know, because it enlightens us. And what is that enlightenment about this star, about Jesus? This star takes us to Bethlehem, to the child Jesus. And what this star does It teaches us that God became man. God became man. Why? So that man can become God. Now, that's amazing. So that man can become God. So in this incarnation, man, human beings, have now been elevated to God. We've been divinized. We are a God. As one great saint said, God became man, so man can become God, okay? You know, we are gods. Now, we're not begotten God. We are adopted children of God. So what is there else? If I were, you know, there are so many movies about superpower capabilities. you got the Avengers. you got the Marvel series. You've got the DC series, like Superman and all those other things. And you got all these people who are superpower and they have these great things, and Or Thor, who is supposed to be a god. And yet we don't really look at ourselves and think of ourselves as a God. but we are. We are a God. And all of the saints will tell you that. you are a God. Okay? That's what it is. Now, also you've got to realize is we're royalty. All right? Why do you think we're so mesmerized about kings and queens and, and the royalty of England and other kingdoms? Because, in essence, we are royalty. If Christ is king and he's our brother and our lady is queen and she's our mother and we are His her children, what does that make us? Prince and princesses. That's what we are. We have the dignity of of royalty and we have the power of a god that's what we are that's the star that helps us realize who we truly are now i don't if you have a self-esteem issue and you can't realize that you are a god and you are royalty there's something seriously wrong all right there is something seriously wrong we are That's how great we are, all right? We are royalty. We're God. Now, we just have to act like him, right? When we were born into a family, we didn't just learn how to become a... uh, When my children were born into my family, they didn't learn how to become a member of the C's family. They could live with us. And there were some corrections I had to make, all right? But eventually... They became a member. You know, eventually they knew how to behave in our family. It's the same thing. You were born in the godly family. You're born into this godly family, this royal family, and now we have to learn how to use our powers. And grace is that power. Virtue is that power. That grace, incorporated by virtue creates heroic virtue, which is the most powerful force in the world, heroic virtue of love, heroic virtue of of uh, faith, heroic virtue of hope. And with that type of power, you can conquer the world. You don't need laser beams. You don't need super strength. Because what the world really needs is not physically strong people, but spiritually strong people, that's what we need. And so that's the star that we chase after, to recognize our great powers and our great dignity and our great Godhead. Now, we go, and once we recognize that, we have to show our star. That's what we got to do. Now, and the reason why I say that is because sometimes people have this idea that, you know, that if we're successful, is that is that uh, an evil for Catholics? Is that against holiness? And the answer is absolutely not. Being worldly successful here on earth is not against holiness. If, if you have your priorities set. There were many a saints who were doctors, lawyers, soldiers, politicians, theologians. There were many of them out there. We you see, here's the paradigm shift, okay? And this is why once you realize the, the dignity and the greatness you are by being a child of God, this is the paradigm shift you'll have, and that is this. You're already a success and great by being a child of God. There is no need to chase after a star because you already are a star. Now you only need to show the world how great you are. Right? Think about this. People are chasing after these false stars Rather than realizing you are a star. In God's eyes, you are a star. That's what you are. You are the greatest. You are the best. And it's only sin that makes us bad and and just detestable. But you being a child of God are very, very great. All right, that's a paradigm shift. You see, people want to show the world that they're a success, right? That's what it is. They, they want to show that the world, hey, I'm successful. I'm shooting after the star and what I'm passionate about. And so they're trying to get the world to approve of them. And that's what they do, as opposed to understanding But they are great, and now they have to act that way. Now, let's listen to this. I wrote this down. Most people are trying to get the world's approval to show them how great they are. Listen to this. Most people are trying to get the world's approval to show them how great they are. Right? Look at social media. Hey, I've got, you know, views, I've got likes, I've got all these things. So most people are shooting for, for this, and they'll do the most ridiculous things to do that, you know, including me sometimes. But the point I'm getting at is they'll do it to the point where they are committing sin, okay? It's okay to be, get likes and views and all that other stuff, but there's a big difference between where you need to draw the line and say this is not it. So most people are trying to, to get the world's approval, Okay, just like, you know, Bad Company song, you know, the world, don't you know you are a shooting star? The world is going to still like you um, as long as you're a shooting star, right? That's, That's what he was chasing after. But here's the thing. Saints know they are great and show the world how great they are by God's grace. See the paradigm shift? People want to chase after false stars to get the world's approval to show that they're great. So, their greatness they're chasing after is by the approval of the world, which is very fickle. But saints know they are great. That's what saints know. They are already great. Okay? Just like when I became a Marine, I knew I was great. All right, Marines know. You know, you walk down. You know, uh, Marines. Most Marines, after they, even they might have left the Marine Corps. You know, after years, walk very, very. Uh, how can I gotta say this. They're straight uh, up and down, backs, arch back, and they're very proud. That's because they know they're great. Think know that they're great. We have this idea, you know, and that's part of it is because we're very humble, but they know that their greatness is not because of what they've done. That's the difference, okay? Saints know that their greatness doesn't come from what they are doing. Mother Teresa, who fed and took care of thousands of people in India, Pope John Paul II, who was pope for, uh, I believe, over 30 years. Now, their greatness was not found because Pope John Paul II was, was uh, uh, pope for 30 years and, and because Mother Teresa of Calcutta set thousands of, um, and started a new order and fed thousands of Indians. No, their greatness was established because they did that. Their greatness was established because they knew they were a child of God. They knew the greatness was founded on their being child of God, knowing that they were divinized by God, knowing that they're royalty. And no one could take that away from them except for themselves through sin. That's how you do it. So saints know that they're great. They just show it to the world while others have to keep trying to prove it to the world and try to get the world's approval. That's the paradigm shift. So if we know that we are true stars and we want to show that our star but out there, that's what we do. In a world where the power struggle becomes the world's and God, the world, wants to say they are the ones who will stamp the approval. They're the ones that will say, I approve of you or I disapprove of you. Like some kind of, you know, um, you know judge that's out there. But God is really saying to you, no, you are great because you're my son or you're my daughter. You know, as a father of six children, my kids don't have to do anything to me to to show them I love them. They don't. I love them because I am their father. And I care for them. They don't have to be a musician. They don't have to be anything. I care for them. I care about their well-being. In my eyes, they're the greatest. That's what they are. That's how God sees you. And now you have to tell the world how great you are because of the love that God has given you, because of the grace that he's given you. That is what you do. That's why you do strive to be a success. And when people say to you, what's the source of your success? You say, God's grace, God's love, because I'm a child of God. That's the difference. You're doing it because you are confident that you can do it because you are a child of God. You have God's grace. That's what happens. So that's the paradigm shift to realize that. And that will actually help you be a success because so many people fail because the first thing that they do is they drop God from their life. They drop faith from their lives. And when that happens, then you're tossed about in the ocean with opinions from other people who, quite frankly, don't care about you. They only, what they, the only thing they care about is treating you like a little puppy. Oh, I'm sorry, a little puppet, Right? They can toy around with you because you have no principles, no solid foundation. But you know what? The great saints had a great sound foundation. You know, one of my favorite saints is St. Thomas More. Successful as a judge, successful as a politician. He became chancellor of England, second in power only to the king. He was that successful. I mean, the only way he could become the king is by birth. So that didn't happen. So he became the highest, most powerful person in the King of England. But you see, he had principles. He had principles. And so when the king tried to treat him like a puppet, he didn't collapse. He said no. Because his greatness came from his honesty and greatness came from knowing that he was a child of God and his love for God. That's what it was. It is the idea that you exemplify who you are, which is a child of God, and have those principles. That's what makes a great saint. So, can we do this? So what are some things that we can do to protect us? You know, I've been uh, in business, uh, and uh, there's a lot of times where it's kind of straining on, uh, you know, as businessmen and women. But one thing is, here's some rules that I follow. One of the rules, you know, one of them is, no, is all God's will. If God wills you to be a success, he'll be a success. Or, first of all, you're already a success by being a child of God. The worldly success, it's God's will. That will give you peace of mind. And that doesn't mean that you should just sit back and say, Well, God's going to be the operator and I'm going to do nothing. No. It just means that you follow you work hard, but you follow your principles. That's all. You lay down, God gave us some, some principles to follow as guidelines. One of the guidelines that I follow is trying it is keeping the holy the Sabbath day. You you look at, there's two companies out there right now that is booming, and they follow this to the T. The first is Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, okay, uh, and they're run by, I believe, Mormons. They don't work on Sundays, and yet they're growing like a weed. They are so successful, it's booming, okay? The other one is BNH. Now, they're not Christian. They're Jewish, so they're not open on Saturdays. Okay? So, and they're booming. So, why is it? Why do we think as Catholics we have to work every single day? Keep holy the Sabbath day. Spend time with your children. Spend time. Now, we know that there might be emergencies. We know that. But spend time with your family. Spend time with your God on Sabbath. The other is, have principles rooted in Christianity. Yes, principles. Create principles that you say, I'm not going to violate these principles. Some could be, you know, like, uh, you know, not working on Saturdays. It could be principles that I will say grace, regardless of where I am, regardless of whether uh, on a business meeting or, or wherever it is, I will say grace. Um, You know, maybe some principles, they'll say I will avoid, you know, alcohol. But principles that are rooted in Christian values and keep them. Because that will be your anchor. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be your anchor. You know? Um, I was watching a a YouTube special on uh, Mark Wahlberg. He's a famous actor in Hollywood. And you know, he has an intense workout. Four o'clock in the morning, he works out. But prior to his workout, he does a spiritual workout, which is he prays. And this is a guy who's made, he, I, you know, I think a year ago, he was rated the number one highest paid actor. Think about that. The number one highest paying actor. And he has a spiritual and physical regimen. Spiritual where he wakes up, I believe, at like uh, 2 o'clock in the morning or 2.30 in the morning to do his prayers before he exercises. That's amazing. He's anchored. So, um, in doing that. The second is, don't be afraid. Right? Don't be afraid. And you shouldn't be. Knowing that you're a child of God, knowing that you're doing God's will, there should be no fear. The only time you should be afraid is when is is when you're, you're, you're committed to do a sin. When you commit a sin, that's when you need to be afraid. That's when you need to go to confession. Um, here's another one. Driven and be driven, be passionate to succeed, but don't get attached. Right? So be driven, be passionate to succeed, but don't get attached. What does that mean? That means that you know, we can be so driven and so passionate that we can be attached to that, that object that we're trying to achieve. You know, um, there are entrepreneurs who spend years and years and years, you know, trying to be that successful money-making company, and they succeed. But they're so attached to that baby that they lose their health and they lose their soul. Even, you know, they'll even keep it even at the cost of their own health. Now, that's being overly attached. You know, if something goes wrong, it makes them angry. Now, we should, it's okay to be disappointed if we don't make it or whatever, or, or be even sometimes upset. But to get angry and to take revenge, that's being attached. So, yes, we can be driven and we can be passionate to succeed, but don't get attached to it. Because you're because it's very easy to get attached. You spend all your life trying to be a success. If something goes wrong, it's like your baby has been killed. And sometimes that happens. But in many cases, you shouldn't allow that to happen. The next is, Understand it is God who gave you all these talents. That's what it is. God gave you the talents, and God can take it away. He can. And so don't get upset about it. Know that you're only an instrument of God. That's what you are. If you're going to succeed, that's because God wants you to succeed, and you'll be an instrument of God that way. Number eight, attend annual silent retreats to slow down. I highly recommend this. To at least have one silent retreat a weekend. I do it. And I do many little retreats. But at least one silent retreat that's, you know, at least one night overnight. That's what you need. And lastly, do some charitable works. If you do some charitable works, it will help you to be associated with those in need, which will help you increase love and virtue. Now, um, I interviewed uh, a person um, who asked this one question to, which is, what is your greatest attribute to two different people? One was a Somewhat famous tennis player who was volunteering at a Special Olympics uh, event. And so this person said to this woman, you know, what do you think is your greatest attribute at this, you know, charitable uh, event, which was Special Olympics? And this woman said, you know, I think it's my ability to serve is my greatest attribute. And he looked and he said, "Okay, that's great. Okay." And he kind of even said, "Are you just saying that because you're here at the Special Olympics?" And she said, "No, no, no. I truly believe it's it's my uh, it's my um, ability to just want to serve." Then, because this person is an actor, he was auditioning to for a commercial. All right, and uh, in this commercial, he was paired up with another woman, who was very beautiful. Uh, she wore this really tight skirt that was high up there that showed a lot of her legs, um, and probably then some. And she says, after, after they were finished, and they kind of bonded because the, the whole audition took a whole day, and they were paired up. So at the end of the audition, he asked this woman, what do you think is your greatest attribute? And she looked, she said, she thought about it, and she said, my legs. You see how one person views their great attribute being their looks, something that's pretty vain? So that's fleeting, as opposed to the other is service. Now, it's only ironic that the person who talked about service happens to be uh, doing a charitable organization. But I can venture to say it's not ironic because by doing charitable good deeds – you will realize that your greatest asset is service. Service to others as service to God. That's what you're going to find is your greatest attribute. As opposed to if you keep thinking and chasing after worldly passions and only think that way, you're going to think that its your greatest attributes are those things that you're good at, like your legs, like you know, your your intelligence. So, if you serve and do charitable works, you'll have a better mindset of, a, one of service and self-donation. So, this wraps up the hour. I'd like to end it with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, help us to be the great saint that we are. Help us to realize that we are your child of God, a child of God that we are your son, your daughter, that we love you. Help us to re- empower us to become the children of God in all that we do, whether it be in sports, whether it be in business, entertainment, that we are successful because of you, because you will it, because you gave us the talents, and because you gave us the grace to move forward. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Purified by Fire. Please visit us at purifiedbyfire.com. Like us at Instagram and Facebook at purified.fire. Sanctifying the world one soul at a time.
1: Can you hear me now? Can you hear me crying out? Like an animal out in the wild, I shout your name into the night. Then you can feel it too, feel the love just like I do. Only you can make it right. I shout your name into the night. Ooh, 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 ooh. blue.
0: We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mahfoud. Good day.